through the Bible. Jesus is risen, ruling, and reigning still, just as he was in the Apostle Paul's day. Whoever you are, wherever you've come from, whatever you've done, this Jesus knows no limits. Do you hear that? The Apostle Paul writes in another letter to the Roman church, he says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. So watch out. Uh, so let's. Re- uh, so Colossians 4, the final chapter, as Simon said a few weeks ago, um, there's been a shift, hasn't there? There's been a, a gear change, if you like, uh, in Paul's letter. Since around chapter 2, Paul has now turned his focus on what it means to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus. At the start of this letter, he says, look, here's Jesus in all his glory, in all his majesty, in all his sacrificial love. Now, in light of him, because of him, this is the most rational way to respond. This is the most appropriate way to respond. In fact, really, it's the only way to respond. So far, we've discovered that being a follower of Jesus over the weeks, being a follower of Jesus affects our prayer life, affects our marriages, it affects our work experience, all of our relationships, really. Our attitude, our behavior, it affects our minds and our hearts. It changes our thinking and our doing. It even affects how we suffer. Total transformation, whole life change, Are there parts of your life that you're saying to Jesus, hold on there, I don't want you to go there just now. I can't go there just now. You know what? Don't do it. Trust him. Jesus is gentle and loving. And he'll help you in all parts of your life. And so today, as we um, come to the closing chapter of this relatively short letter, full of pack full of riches, Paul understands, uh, Paul underlines for us that being a follower of Jesus involves reaching out with the truth of Jesus. It involves being a messenger. Let me put it differently. Every disciple of Jesus is given a message to proclaim, to publicly communicate to the world around us, to show and urge everyone to believe it to encourage that message to affect society in every single way. Every disciple, you and me. So that's the theme of this part of uh, the scripture that we're going to, the letter that we're going to read this morning. Do you believe we are a people who are Jesus' messengers? So let's read it, shall we? Colossians 4, 2 to 6. It says, devote yourselves to prayer being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I'm in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Let's pray, shall we? Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the gospel. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for our message. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that it really is the power of God to save. 
And I pray, Lord God, as I preach this morning, as I, as I, you know, proclaim your message with my words, uh, I pray, Lord God, that you'll make it clear. I pray, Lord, that um, it will challenge us. I pray, Lord God, it'll touch things in our lives. I pray, Lord God, it'll open things up. I pray, Lord God, by your Spirit, that um, you will break free situations, areas, uh, possibly areas where we feel um, not up to um, talking to our friends or sharing the truth with our friends. I pray, Lord God, that you'll give us the courage and wisdom and boldness in Jesus' name. Amen. So, as I've already said, every follower of Jesus is given a message to proclaim, to publicly communicate, and urge everyone to believe in it, to to encourage it to affect society. What do you think of that? You know what? It's a hot issue today. That is a hot issue. This is controversial stuff. The telly, the papers, are regularly questioning this. Should we, as Christians, be really doing this? Should we be allowed to do this? Certainly in some sectors of our society, it's pretty much banned. Teachers, nurses, doctors have got into trouble over this and even lost their jobs. But you know what? That's nothing compared to some parts of the world. I was talking with a lady from Sierra Leone this morning. Um, In Iran, in Iraq, in Korea, in parts of Africa, in China, and many other parts... Uh, of the world. People have lost their very lives over this issue. Their families even. It's serious. But what do we see in this passage that we've just read? Despite the opposition, despite the pain, despite the humiliation, despite the insults, the persecution, the Apostle Paul very clearly asks the church, urges the church to pray that God may open yet another door for his message so that they may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which he was in chains. Nothing will stop him. Nothing will hold him back. Remarkable, really. Jubilee, God has been underlining that for us over the last few weeks, if not months, really, hasn't he? Prompting Derek and Sarah and Shirley and Sam, we heard them last week, and I'm sure others too, to go out there and give people the truth. Deluded people, deceived people, distracted people. That's what our world is full of today. During the last Alpha, and pretty much most weeks here at Jubilee, and in my street, and in my workplace, I am regularly having in-depth conversations about Christianity, and the problems that people have with it. God is on the move. He really is. Bring your friends to Alpha. We've already heard that, haven't we? Bring your friends next week to the Easter service. The gospel is powerful. In my GP practice, I'm also regularly opening up Christian values and solutions to people, um, sort of applying them to people's problems without getting sacked. I've been praying for people regularly without them being aware of it. Jesus said um, in Matthew 28:19, "All authority in heaven and on earth." has been given to me. Therefore, you, me, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. 
And as Paul underlined for us, I think last week, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Pretty clear, really, isn't it? We are God's messengers. And so this morning, that's what I'm going to unpack. I'm going to have three points this morning, and really that's what I'm going to open up this morning. Firstly, we have a God-given mission. Secondly, we have a God-given message. And thirdly, we have a God-given motivation. A mission, a message, and a motivation. So here goes. We have a God-given mission. Tom Forrest, a Roman Catholic priest, underlines the fact in one of his books that the word go appears 1,514 times in the Bible. That's a lot, isn't it? We have a God-given mission to go. A previous Archbishop of York and then Canterbury, I think he was in the 1950s, a chap called William Temple famously said, the church is the only community in the world that exists primarily for its non-members. Jubilee are for our purpose statements. Receiving God, reaching out, releasing wholeness and potential, restoring relationships isn't just for us. These going out prophetic calls that God gave us are rooted in the same prophetic manifesto that launched Jesus' ministry to the world. Isaiah 61, you can read about it in Luke 4. It says this, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because he has, the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of our Lord's favor. That's what we're all about. When God, the Holy Spirit, grips us, that's what it looks like. Jubilee, at the very heart of who we are in God, we are called to be reaching out people, a going out people. Is that how you're shaping your life? The singer Sinead O'Connor, who myself and John went to see one day in the sage, um, when she wasn't very good, she was a lot better before, she said this, as a race we feel empty. This is because our spirituality has been wiped out. And we don't know how to express ourselves. As a result, we are encouraged to fill that gap, as Kat said, with alcohol, drugs, sex, money. She didn't say those things. People out there are screaming for the truth, said Sinead O'Connor. What was it like before you met Jesus? Think about it. Do you remember? I'll tell you what it was like. You were far off. You were living your life on your own terms. You didn't want to God. You didn't want God to have a say. You were the one who mattered, not God. You were entrenched in what the Bible calls sin, a radical selfishness. You, 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 me, me, me. Complete disregard for God. Complete disobedience. A life dishonouring Him. Always fighting a losing battle. Always living with a sense of inadequacy. That's how you chose to live. That's how I chose to live. Some of you here this morning still choose to live that way. That's what the Bible says hell will be like. A place without God. But God, in his free grace, brought you closer, didn't he? God showed you his love, despite you spitting it back in his face time after time. 
He said, I have met you. I have come into your life. I have dealt with your shame. I have satisfied the deepest longings of your heart for beauty and love. That was God's song over us, wasn't it, Jubilee? Day by day, he slowly persevered with you, drew you in. That was your story, wasn't it? Certainly mine. But hear this. He draws us in to send us out. He says, look, my healing is more than enough for you now. He says, my hope is more than enough for you. Now go. I'm sending you out. You don't need to be self-absorbed in your own problems, your own little issues anymore. Go out. Live for others. Go on the adventure that I've called you to. He says, Jubilee, reach out. You have purpose now. You are my messengers. Terry Virgo, um, the father of the New Frontiers movement, that uh, family of churches that we're part of, uh, said this, the whole world has been lied to and it is the church's responsibility to bring truth to it. You and me. Jubilee, Ephesians 2 says this, you are God's work of art. Each and every one of you is created to do good works that God has prepared in advance for you and only you to do. Do you hear that? It's not that you've just been randomly selected and sent out in some general way just to have a positive influence on the world. No way. The Bible says there are particular things for you to do, particular people for you to help. You have been shaped to be the instrument of healing in your area, amongst your friends, in your workplace, at uni, at college, at school, all your experiences, your joys, your sorrows, your race, your gender, your background, your personality, your age, your talents, all those things. God has put together deliberately in you so that there are some hands that only you can hold. There are some needs that only you can meet. You have purpose. You are significant in God. You know what? The world today would persuade you otherwise. You're just a biological accident, randomly placed where where you find yourself. A chap called Martin Heidegger who was a German philosopher, summed up, summed up the thinking of this world when he made, the wo- made up the word Gavorfenite. Why don't you say to the next person, next to verse, next to, Gavorfenite. <laughs> no, you better not, actually. It means thrownness. Thrownness. That humanity has been thrown into the world. Yeah, we try and make sense of it, But those thoughts are just wishful thinking, little delusions. There's no God in control. There's no rhyme or reason. There's no purpose to life. Just thrown into the world randomly. Is that what you think? We as Christians, you know, can be tempted to think that way. Never mind others. But Jesus says something altogether different, altogether radical. We're not just thrown into the world. No way. We are sent into the world. We are fit for purpose. Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
Look, every single disciple of Jesus is given a message to publicly communicate to others and urge everyone to believe it. And don't be ashamed of that. The Apostle Paul wasn't. We're a reaching out people, a sent people, a go people. Called to bring truth into into our world with words and actions that display the splendor of our King. Our God, he reigns. He really does. So that's our God-given mission. Our message. Secondly, we have a God-given message. What is it? What is our God-given message? Well, it's what the Bible describes as the gospel. We say it lots, don't we? Gospel. Do we really know what it means? Do we really know or feel how big it is? Because when the early church heard Jesus' message being described as a gospel, they would have been blown away by it, or they would have been um, offended by it. If they weren't, they probably didn't get how big it was either. When Jesus sent his followers out, he sent them to communicate what he called the gospel. Jesus said in Mark 16, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. The Apostle Paul has already described in the first um, chapter of this letter, I think at least three times, he describes uh, the message of Jesus as the true message of the gospel. That is our God-given message. So what is a gospel? We often translate the Greek for gospel into good news. So a lot of you will be familiar with that. Gospel, good news. And that's exactly what it means. But somehow, in our culture, we lose the magnitude of what that is, the bigness of it. You see, you and I can watch the news uh, on the telly and eat a plate of chips at the same time. That's how much the daily world news affects us. We're immune to it, really. Most of it, anyway. In some ways, that's probably a good thing. Because if it affected us like the way it affects God, we'd have trouble handling it. But the gospel is very different. A gospel is not something you read about in, say, the Sun or the Daily Mail. The gospel wasn't a word used to just describe the daily news. No, it was altogether something very different. The gospel was a proclamation of victory. It was news of an objective, traffic-stopping, history-changing, new landscaping, shaping event, shaping event that changed everyone's situation. So everyone had to respond. That's what people understood by the word gospel, not just daily news. There was a sense of urgency about it. There was a promise of good things, of hope, integrally linked with it. There was a sense of joy and celebration about it. That's what the gospel was. If you heard the word gospel, your ears would have pricked up. Your heart would have started beating faster. You'd get excited. It would get your attention. You'd say, what gospel? We have a document around the time of Jesus. I can't remember whether it's just before or just after. Uh, Around the time of Jesus that starts like this. This is the beginning of the gospel of Caesar Augustus. This document was the declaration that this Caesar, all-powerful man, or so he thought, Caesar Augustus had ascended to the throne. 
fact, truth, objective. You couldn't argue with it. People were sent out. Heralds traveled far and wide to communicate this news. This gospel was the announcement. It was the news of a major history-changing event that affected everybody. You couldn't say, look, he might be your emperor, but he's not mine. You couldn't. When he became emperor, everyone had to deal with it. That's why if you were a rational person in the time of Caesar Augustus, you wanted to know this gospel. You wanted to know this news. You couldn't live your life meaningfully and ignore the fact that this Caesar had risen to the throne. You couldn't. Jubilee, the message of Jesus is a gospel. The Christian gospel is the announcement that something has happened in history already. Something that has been done for you that changes your status, your street status, your school status, your workplace's status forever. A message of hope and joy and celebration and victory and peace. A message that is urgently needed in a world falling apart. It's not just take it or leave it advice. It's not just an opinion. That's what most other religious beliefs give you. It's fact. It's real. It happened. Jesus said, it is finished. You can't live life meaningfully without it. And you know what? This gospel isn't just a watertight argument either. No, this gospel is a watertight person. Jesus. Someone you can look at. Someone you can study his life. You can study his words, his actions, his sacrifice, his compassion, his heart, and respond to him. Someone put it this way. No one has ever discovered the words Jesus ought to have said or or the deeds he ought to have done. Nothing he does falls short. In fact, he is always surprising you, always taking your breath away because he's better than you could imagine. You cannot respond to this gospel by just sitting on the fence. C.S. Lewis put it, the writer of the Narnia books, uh, said this about Jesus. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he's a poached egg, or he will be the devil of hell himself. You must take your choice. Either this was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being just a great teacher. He has not left that open to us. Jesus Christ is God. He lived and died the perfect life so that humanity could be set free from the eternal punishment of God that was rightfully owing to it because of sin. But now, instead of living under the wrath of God and all, uh, and all, of, huma- uh, and all of that, humanity now can come into a life giving relationship with God filled with eternal hope and joy as we trust in Jesus. That is our message. That is the gospel. It's a gospel to proclaim, to reach out to others with, with zeal, with passion, with conviction. But as I said earlier, 
This is a very hot issue today. People are very sceptical of religion and faith. No one wants us to go around converting others. They encourage or even legislate making laws up so that we keep our beliefs to ourselves, far, far from the public domain. Only recently a chap called Trevor Phillips, who's the uh, Equalities Commission chairman, uh, commission chairman, and he echoed the worldview of today, really. He said this, the law stops at the door of the temple, as far as I'm concerned. But there are problems with statements like this, big problems. And I'll give you two of them. Firstly, when you say it's okay to believe in Jesus, but don't try and convert everybody, what you're really saying is because I don't believe it, you don't have the right to tell others about it. Now, you might not say that directly, because that would sound a bit narrow-minded, wouldn't it? But if you really think about it, that is what you are saying. Because if this message of Jesus is true, then the only rational response would be going out and declaring it to everybody, wouldn't it? In fact, not to take this news out to every person would be the ultimate in wickedness. Because it would be unlove, it would be totally unloving. It would be like finding the cure for cancer or AIDS and saying, I'll keep that to myself. That's a private affair. That'd be wicked. That'd be cruel. Look, when you say you can believe in Jesus, but keep it to yourself, you're saying, really, don't believe in Jesus. Think about it. Secondly, when you say, yeah, you can believe in Jesus, but don't bring it into the public sphere, what you're really saying is that my understanding of the world is far more superior to yours. So keep yours to yourself. I guess you have the right to say that, but isn't that just as narrow-minded as a Christian wanting to share his faith? When you say, I can't do that, you're doing exactly the same that you're telling me, exactly the same thing that you're telling me not to do. Do you see that? You're saying no one has any evidence that God exists, so don't try to convert others. But do you have evidence that there is no God? Of course you don't. You can't prove that. That's just what you believe. That's your view of God. That's your religion, if you like. Your faith belief. We all have religious beliefs. We all have a view of God. We all have faith in something, even if you believe there is no God. But by saying stop it, what are you doing? You're you're doing it. By saying stop it, you're doing it. By saying keep it private, you're doing exactly the thing you are telling me not to do. And that is just as narrow-minded. That is, it's not fair. But you know what? Surprise, surprise. It's not as simple as that. The plot's thickened. You see, the world we live in has responded in this way because it sees religion as tearing apart the fabric of society, as a barrier to integration and living together in harmony. Religion results in war and racism and violence and injustice and superiority and pride. That's what people think. And do you know what? I hear that. I sympathize with that. I even agree with some of it. But hear this. When you understand the gospel, when the gospel gets hold of you, and I mean the real gospel, you'll come to a realization that Christianity 
is not like any other religion. In fact, it's not really a religion at all. It is something completely different. Jesus' approach to the, this problem is unique. Christianity gives a much more refined and insightful answer to this issue of reaching out without ignoring the problems that are associated with it. How? I'll tell you how. The Christian faith says it all comes down to my last point, motivation. Jesus says the key to reaching out is what drives you from within. What is it that motivates you to tell others? What is going on in your heart? So we have a mission, we have a message, but thirdly, if you don't have the right motivation, the right heart, your message could be destructive. Paul says here, um, in, the, in, the chat, in the section that we've just read, be wise, you need wisdom, be wise in the way you act towards others. He says, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. You see, the solution to this problem is not saying, don't tell others, don't convert anybody, don't run alpha courses. No, it's not. That is narrow-minded, as we've just heard. That is forcing your belief on me. That's no good. It doesn't work. The solution is to examine your heart. What is it that is motivating you as you go out with the message of Jesus? And basically, there are two answers to that. The first isn't very helpful long-term. And the second is soul-transforming. So the first, the first is guilt. Last week was great, wasn't it? Hearing Derek tell us about getting out of the bathwater and doing something worthwhile to spend your money wisely, to stop building extensions on your house. Thanks, De- thanks, De- thanks Derek. Hearing Shirley's story of courageously knocking on doors, telling people the truth of Jesus. Of Sam going out into, into the park, declaring the gospel. Excellent stuff. Well done, guys. But let me ask you a question. As in, let, us ask, let me ask you all a question. How did that make you feel? Really? How did it? I'm not having to go at the guys who brought contributions. The contributions were excellent. Really. More people, contributions, please. But how did you feel when you heard them? You see, the answer to this question tells us a lot about our hearts. We who were listening. When you heard those contributions, yeah, I'm sure you'll have thought, great stuff, well done. But I'm sure a lot of you will have felt the challenge of that. A lot of you, as I did, will have felt a bit guilty. Why aren't I doing that? I should be doing that. They're good Christians, aren't they? I'm not as good as them. Be honest. What are you thinking? And that's what a lot of the Christian life can often feel like. Things I must do, things I should do, God's watching, obligation, a list of do-its upon do-its. And most religions are like that, a list of rules and regulations. Do this, do that, and God will accept you. Our secular world without God is like that too, a list of do's and don'ts. 
And you'll be thought of as a good person. You'll be accepted. You'll feel good about yourself. People will think you're good if you follow the rules. But deep down, the thing that is driving you is guilt and obligation. It really is. The pressure of following rules and do-its, keeping up. And the problem is this. When you're motivated by guilt, it doesn't change your heart. It makes you anxious. You look for the bare minimum to get through. You, often you don't succeed. You can, you, you're always trying to keep up. Eventually it condemns you. You feel bad about yourself. If you do manage to keep up for a while, you start looking at others negatively. They're not doing very well, are they? If I can do it, why can't they? You get angry. You can get frustrated with them. You can get self-righteous and proud and manipulative. It's a vicious cycle. Guilt doesn't change your heart. A list of do-its isn't soul-transforming. If you're motivated by guilt, and to varying degrees, everyone here is, hear that, it's not where Jesus wants you to go. It's not where the gospel wants to take us. If you're feeling that, you're not reaching. If you're feeling that you're not reaching out enough or not telling your friends enough or not inviting enough people to Alpha courses or doing good to your, the people around you, if you feel you're not giving enough or not serving your neighbours enough, Jesus says, stop it. Stop right there. The gospel isn't a list of do-its. No way. It is actually a done-it. It's history. It's happened. The gospel doesn't motivate us through guilt. It motivates us through something altogether different, altogether powerful, altogether heart-changing. And what is that something? It's not guilt. It's grace. The Christian gospel is a gospel of grace. And it is soul-transforming. Let me explain. Paul, at the start of this section of Colossians, says this. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. We've heard it throughout the letter, actually, haven't we? When you realise what God has done for you through Jesus' life and death and his resurrection... When you realize that God in Jesus paid the price that you deserved for all your sin, for all your self-centeredness, for all your dishonoring, disobeying, disregarding behavior towards him. When you realize where your life was going, or is heading now maybe, how God compl- and how God completely went out of his way to bring you back home into a life-giving, loving relationship with him. What does it do? It melts your heart. That's what the gospel did in a chap called Sean's life. I don't know if he's here. And Kath's. And I'm sure lots of others. Sean told us on the Alpha course how the parable of the prodigal son broke his heart, melted his heart. The unconditional, undeserving love of the father to him who had messed up big style. When When the grace of God grips you, Pleasing him becomes the joy of your soul. Not out of guilt anymore, but out of praise and thankfulness. How can you feel superior to others anymore when you realize that your performance, what you did, the do-its, 
had nothing to do with your newfound joy or relationship. How can you feel guilty anymore when you know that without a doubt that God accepts you, longs for you, loves you just the way you are? How can you be sure of all that stuff? Well, you look to the cross. Fact. Finished. Some people would like to take the cross out of Christianity, saying that it looks a bit too gruesome. It's, it's unloving. Let me tell you, without the cross of Jesus Christ, there is no love of God. Colossians 2.4 says this, message version. When you were stuck in your old sin-dead life, you were incapable of responding to God. God brought you alive right along with Christ. Think of it. All sins forgiven. The slate wiped clean. That old arrest warrant cancelled and nailed to Christ's cross. He stripped all uh, the spiritual tyrants in the universe of their sham authority at the cross and marched them through the streets naked. When you experience the radical grace, the radical victory of God in your life, like Kath did, like Sean did, you can't help telling others. You can't help loving others, especially people who are different from you. It shouldn't cause division. It shouldn't cause oppression. It shouldn't cause pride. Quite the opposite, really. Jubilee, are you allowing the grace of God, his free forgiveness, his radical sacrifices, his eternal promises to mold you, to shape you, to change you every single day? Are you motivated by guilt or grace? Because if it's guilt, stop it. That's not the gospel. That's not our message. That's not where Jesus wants me, you, any of us to go. Tim Keller, a preacher would never be right without Tim Keller, would it? Tim Keller writes, Christians have, within their belief system, the strongest possible resource for practicing sacrificial love generosity and peacemaking. At the very heart of our view of reality was a man, Jesus, who died for his enemies, praying for their forgiveness. Wow. Any reflection on this can only, only lead to a radically different way of dealing with those who are different from us. Jubilee, our mission is to go out with the gospel motivated, inspired, excited by Jesus' unconditional love for us. 1 John 4, we love because he loved us first. Let the gospel change you. Let praise and thankfulness draw you in and send you out. Let your conversation, as Paul says here in the passage, be full of grace, seasoned with salt so that you may know how to answer everyone. The band can come up. Let's pray, shall we? We're going to be breaking bread this morning. The whole front row goes, few, he remembered. Um, but first we're going to sing a song. I'm going to pray, we're going to sing, we're going to worship, and we're going to take our collection. Another few from the front of the church. We're going to take our collection while we have the first song, and then we're going to break